This is Flashpoint, where we talk about tomorrow's headlines today. I'm your host, Andrew Holland. Today, we're joined by General Steve Cheney, ASP's CEO. This is our first podcast in the new Flashpoint series. We'll talk about ASP's history and our role in today's debates. Steve served in the U.S. Marine Corps for over 30 years with a variety of command and staff positions here in Washington and around the world. General Cheney's primary specialty was artillery, but he focused extensively on entry-level training. Uh, his final post was at uh, commanding general at, at Paris Island. Uh, general Cheney has been ASP's CEO for seven years now uh, and on the board of directors since our founding. Uh, Steve, welcome. Andrew, glad to be here. Uh, so what sets ASP apart today? What, why, what's our role and what are we doing and, and uh, why are we here? You know, Andrew, our founding fathers, Senators Kerry Hagel, Hardin, Rudman, came up with this concept that we would put together national security leaders to talk about issues that, in some cases, they weren't directly related to national security, but certainly impacted the national security of our country. And the way they did that was had a bipartisan board. I mentioned two Republicans, two Democrats. Mm -hmm. They had a group of businessmen and women to help fund the place. Mm -hmm. And then they put eight flag officers on there, three and four star, two from each service recently retired, to talk these issues. And, and the thought behind that was, can we take the partisanship away from these issues and let them focus on the national security perspective? Perhaps the poster child of that is climate change. Mm -hmm. Anytime you mention climate change, it, it, everybody raises their antenna and they think Greenpeace and the Sierra Club, and which we are not. We are a small 501c3 nonprofit. And our intent here is to focus on those issues, to talk the national security perspective on them and show it how it impacts the country uh, in, in virtually all aspects. And hopefully people would listen to these admirals and generals. Now we've expanded that concept over the years, but we've pretty much adhered to it um, along our way. So, you know, given the current political climate, mm -hmm. trying to pull these issues out of the political fray and talk about the national security side of it is, is tough, uh, because a lot of the issues we, we are currently focused on have been taken on by the administration in a way that we particularly don't appreciate. Um, so we, it's hard for it, people to look at us and say, hey, you're, you're nonpartisan, but, but we are nonpartisan. We will take both sides of an issue. We won't endorse, endorse a party. We won't endorse right. a candidate. Uh, we don't lean left. We don't lean right. We, we stay right to the middle. So I, I want to dig in a little bit. When, when we say national security, um, you know, a lot of people uh, think only bullets, guns, bombs, battleships. Um, but, of course, uh, national security is, is more than that. It's, it's the strength of our economy. It's, it's, you know, being able to protect our future prosperity. What, what does national security mean to you, you know, in the case of climate change or in the case of, you know, uh, you know the economic strength? What, what, what's that mean? Yeah, climate change is, is perhaps the most prominent issue these days among, yeah. among others. Uh, certainly since the country's withdrawal from the Paris Accord. But the, the thought all the way along from the military perspective was that it, it influences our strategic posture and it influences our tactical posture. Uh, conflict around the world is being impacted by climate change, and, and you can go all the way around virtually to any continent. Poster child perhaps might be, um, let's say, Lake Chad which has lost 75% of its water in the last 30 years. There's a lot of instability in, in sub-Saharan Africa. 
Boko Haram has risen to prominence in that area, and the U.S. has actually responded there. As we all well know, we had four soldiers that were killed there last right. uh, last spring. Um, so that that that's a microcosm of what's happening virtually everywhere. So when I say on the tactical side, our bases and stations are being impacted. And Norfolk's mm-hmm. the poster child for that. Right. It's going underwater. So we've got to adapt to that. And then in the long term, you've got to mitigate what's causing climate change. And, and that's where we're trying to ring that clarion bell to say, hey, we know what causes climate change. And it's impacting your daily lives. It's impacting our uh, structure of our military forces, and it's impacting uh, conflict worldwide, and we have to respond to these uh, conflicts. And so the point to that being uh, every American should be looking at this. Now, we go around the country talking climate change, and and a lot of it's the NIMBY, not my backyard attitude. But today, there's hardly any state, any city that's not impacted by climate change, whether it's a forest fire in California, it's a river flooding, it's huge rains in Charleston. Uh, across the spectrum, people are being impacted by what's happening in climate change. So so we want to pitch that to say, hey, long term, we know what causes it. We need to reduce CO2 emissions. Yeah, uh, and that's right. Let's. I want to take us back to, to 2006 when, when ASP was founded. Uh, you know, you talked about Kerry uh, Hagel, Hart, and Rudman, uh, and and of course Hart and Rudman had been the co-authors of that that famous 2001 report that predicted that there would be a major terrorist attack in the United States before 9/11, uh, and so they talked about you know these these gathering threats to uh, to the United States and and. I think part of part of the reason that that ASP was founded was to talk about that future, those future threats. Climate change, you're right, is is absolutely one of them. What what do you think? You know, in, in the span since 2006 to to 2018, there's been enough time to see some of these threats actually develop and gather and change. You know, is do we think the do you think the world's a safer place today, or more dangerous, more complicated? Uh, how, you know, were we right about some of the things back in 2006? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And you know, when you go back to the Hart Rudman report, I won't say it was totally ignored, but, yeah. but it kind of, <laughs> it kind of begs to the point that here's two political types, senators. Yeah. And it's just another report that came out yeah. and, and got virtually ignored and we, and we saw the consequence of it. Yeah. To go back to your question, um, I personally don't feel we're safer today. Right. Um, there's been conflict everywhere now. We're starting a, a great power rivalry with Russia and China. Uh, it, the rhetoric coming out of the current administration is problematic. Right. Uh, it just exacerbates a lot of this. We got the North Korea problem. The terrorist problem still looms, although we've reduced that dramatically in Syria and certainly in Iraq. But but there's still a lot of instability there. So I mean, there's to me there's there's in fact, perhaps more conflict. Right. And when we look at the prediction on the climate change side of the house, climate change, we know it's occurring. It's I mean, we, every statistic, worse. every yeah. science you look at says it's happening. And I think, I think Americans are beginning to wake up to it. As we, ASP, goes around the country and talks to mayors in particular mm-hmm. uh, and, and governors, uh, they get it. They go, yeah, I see the impact in my own state. We've been to North Carolina recently. They understand it. They're seeing the impact on their shoreline. They're seeing the impact on their bases and stations, Fort Bragg in particular. 
All the military training is impacted because we're having more what we call black flag days. Mm -hmm. These types of things are, are resonating. So I, I, I kind of wish in a way you could have another name for climate change, that it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> exacerbate the hard right conservatives right. and the hard left that stand up there and use it as their banner. If it was something in the middle, global warming, I mean, I mean, that's a, a synonym to it, but, uh, nonetheless, I, I think we've been banging this drum for quite a while, but, but it's starting to resonate here. And not just here in the United States, all around the world. We're a member of organizations in Europe, uh, that talk about this routinely. We've, we've talked about the Paris Accord, the Conference of Parties, of course, uh, which is funding the Paris Accord. All these things, there, there is a momentum here that's been blunted a little bit in the last two years here in the United States, but it's certainly not blunted overseas. Yeah, you know, and and you talk about the difficulty of of U.S. politics, and it's almost these the names you give things are more important than the actual impacts. You know, because it's climate change, too many people are able to put it off into this environmental bucket, sure. and so you know we try and take it and put it back into the national security yeah, space. I, the the uh, I, I hate to take this whole session and focus on climate change because right, right. there are a number of other issues that right. we that we cover. Uh, this one happens to be fairly prominent of late. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, uh, because we pulled the United States due to Trump's insistence, pulled out of the Paris Accord, doesn't mean we're out of it. It takes a couple of years for you to withdraw right. from it. And the other point to this is there are cities and states that are adhering to the precepts of, of the Paris Accord regardless. So we're still in it, if you will. Now, that that could change dramatically here in the next two years. But let me let me switch the topics yep. here and talk about nuclear security and, sure. and proliferation. Um, the New START Treaty, 2011, give or take, uh, we were strongly in favor of that. And, and we come from a different perspective than most because, because of our retired military folks that are uh, certainly on our board and on our consensus. If you go online, you can pull up the members of our consensus. And, and these men and women talk from a position of having had deploy and deploy nuclear weapons. Right. I myself handled nuclear weapons in the, in the <laughs> late 70s and early 80s. I didn't particularly enjoy it. But when you saw <laughs> and recognized the devastation that they caused and realized the immense number that both we and Russia had, we pushed hard for the New START Treaty. And again, it, it, it was somewhat of a partisan issue, but it got bipartisan support and it was passed reducing the number of deployed nuclear weapons to 1,550 between each of still us. Still a Russia. lot. Still a lot between yeah. us, and United States, <laughs> us and Russia. You kind of go, my God, that's a huge number. Right. We had thousands more before that. Right. But here's, here's the important factor here. This expires in 2021, mm -hmm. and it's got to be renegotiated, retalked to. And, and this has been the subject of a little bit of rhetoric between Putin and Trump, uh, but there has been a little tickler thrown out by Putin thinking that, hey, maybe we could renegotiate this, and, and some say the possibility of going a little lower. Trump has not said that, but we'd be all in favor of that. And I, and I, I dare anybody to tell me why we need more than 1,550 deployed nuclear weapons. We just don't need them. Horrendously expensive, dangerous weapons. We're worried about proliferation. Uh, that's been our position the whole time at ASP. And meanwhile, the United States is spending hundreds of billions of dollars just in modernizing those existing weapons and, and you know, getting new uh, new deployments that, and all that, that sort of stuff. That really was the quid pro quo to get the Republicans over in 2011, say, okay, we'll reduce, but you've got to modernize. And now this is myself speaking, sure. not for ASP, 
they do, they do need to be modernized. You've got some of these weapons that are 40 and 50 and 60 years old. Like, any, you wouldn't have a car that's that old without having it being rehabbed. So you've got to look at a modernization schedule for, for all your weapons, whether it's bombers or missiles. Uh, they've, they've got to be looked at from that perspective. But again, we don't need that many of them. You know, if I had my choice, we wouldn't have any, but, but you could certainly reduce that number dramatically. Yeah, and and you know, I I think uh, things like um, negotiating reductions in nuclear weapons are exactly what ASP is about. This is about ways to increase our national security in a bipartisan way without firing any weapons, without Absolutely. any sort of military, you know, means or something like that. Um, and. And just some of the, the, the mess coming out of this administration sometimes think, seems to think that the only solution is, is military solutions. You know, th- th- that's a great segue into another point that I'd like to raise. And it, yeah. it talks about the funding of the State Department and using diplomacy yeah. instead of using military force. And again, when you've got a slew of retired senior military officers uh, of all the services talking, would much rather have us reduce the threat through diplomacy than have to deploy troops overseas. And I guess to get real down to the bottom line of this, our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines are being deployed overseas to counter forces that are threatening the United States. Wouldn't it be far better for us to have some kind of an agreement with some of our adversaries, or at least be talking to them, reduce the threat? I'll give you a prime example. I'm all for reducing the North Korean threat. You know, Trump's talk with Kim Jong-un, hey, have at it. Right. If it reduces their nuclear capability and we're able to lessen the threat, that's wonderful. The problem with that is we've been down this road before with North Carolina or North Korea, and you've seen it repeated now, back and forth, back and forth. Summit, no summit. They, are they reducing? Are they not reducing? But nonetheless, I'm all in favor of talking. I think that's a good thing, and yeah, that can be a, than, yeah, that can fighting. be applied yeah. across the spectrum here. I, I mean, creating an adversary out of Russia is not necessarily a good thing, Putin. And Trump apparently have a good relationship, but nonetheless, <laughs> you see tensions all the way around between them and us. And, and if you spend any time in Europe, they are worried about what's going on in Russia, and justifiably so when you right. look at Ukraine and, and Georgia. So, I mean, and, and, and the NATO support, you know, it's another one. We, we should be a strong supporter of NATO. I understand where Trump's coming from on the 2% of uh, defense spending, uh, GDP defense spending of all the countries, and I support that too. But nonetheless, I don't think you say NATO is obsolete. It is certainly not obsolete. We are strong supporters of NATO. Right. It's it's one of these things where, you know, of course you need military strength, but yet you have to back that sure. up with diplomacy. You have to, you know, diplomacy is the way to, to get what you want without sort of the you know, coercive well, the, the, nature. Of- the bargain in this whole deal is that the State Department, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, is not that expensive. Certainly right. when you compare <laughs> it to the to the Department of Defense. And right. we've just passed the National Defense Authorization Act. Seven or eight hundred billion dollars? Right. I mean, it's in a one year. huge slide a tenth of that or a tenth of a tenth of that over the over to the State Department, let them man their embassies, let them work the diplomacy side of the house, but instead we're cutting their budget, right. which just to me, it doesn't make sense. And I, I think it was Jim Mattis, 
had said, if you reduce the Department of State's budget, you're going to have to increase mine and buy more bullets. And I mean, you know, that's... So let's test that. It's rather simplistic, (laughs) but that resonates with us. Yeah, yeah. And and that's right. You know, there's so many opportunities here to, you know, of course we need a strong military. Of course we we should be investing in the military strength we need to be able to meet all the, the missions that, that our military is asked to do. But then that's not the be-all, end-all, right? It's, it's about then finding a way to uh, increase our security well, in other ways. We've you been know? fighting this war in Afghanistan for right. 17 years. Right, right. I mean, it's the longest war in our history of, of the country, the longest war. We are still there and will be there for quite a while. Perhaps not in the size we were in the past. That will fluctuate as it goes back and forth. I understand where Obama was coming from, wanting to reduce, and and Trump himself has said he'd like to pull out of Iraq. He'd like to pull out of Afghanistan. So would I. Yeah. But you've got to consider the threat. Look at the investment we've made there. Look at the lives that we lost. Say we're still concerned about stability in all those places and, and countering terrorism wherever it is. Will that take some modicum of force from the United States to do that? Sure, it will. Yeah. Hopefully, it won't be hundreds of thousands. But and 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 that's an important point. You know, Afghanistan. You don't. You don't end the war in Afghanistan by winning it. You, there's no there's no end that results in a clear, obvious: the enemy is defeated and the United States is the winner. It, it, it's going to have to result in some sort of negotiations between opposing parties and surrounding neighbors. You know, you know? People, there a lot of times their memories are short. And when you look at one time, the Taliban was our ally. Right. We supported them in defeating the Russians and getting them out of Afghanistan. Right. And look at what's happened now. They're our enemy. Right. Uh, things can really change, but you, you're absolutely right. It's a political There has to be a political solution it's to these problems. Solution. And yeah. the indigenous people have to decide they want peace. Right. We can't enforce that upon them. So it's a, it's a tough spot. And we have become more or less the world's policemen, mm-hmm. which... You know, again, I look at the Trump administration saying this isn't necessarily our job. And that's one thing I kind of support. Uh, Hey, we're not supposed to be everywhere all the time. And we've got allies. We've got diplomacy. We ought to use that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't. uh, The thing about being the world's policeman, you know, we don't need to do that if we have allies, if we have others that that we can do it. And and that's some of the things that, that. upsets me about the Trump administration sometimes is is that it seems like they go after the allies more than they go after our well, our adversaries. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> there, there's a real contrast there. You would, you would think that they would be thinking, if we want to pull out of these places, then we need to have a political solution yeah. to, to where the uh, conflict is. So let's, let's work that aspect of it and solve that and maybe be able to pull back our forces in Europe, right. uh, in Asia, uh, but but in the interim, the threat still exists. Um, well, look, looking back now, uh, here we are, ASP, 12 years after our, our founding. Um, how, uh, do you, how do you see the next 12 years going yeah, for ASP? Boy, Andrew, that's uh, <laughs> putting <laughs> that time frame on it. I would say, how do you see the next two years? Yeah, right, right, right. But, but the, the, you know, we... I like to say we've had some spectacular victories. New Start, no doubt about it. Right. We had influence on that. 
we didn't talk about energy security, but we've been strong on energy security the whole time, and yeah. we and we're making great progress on that. I mean, yeah. we've been big fusion aficionados here. We're against CO2 emissions, anything yeah. that reduces that. So on the energy side, we're we're, There's we're pushing. been amazing developments it in the last 12 years. It has been amazing. It has been amazing. So I see, down. you know, particularly on the fusion side, but in alternative energies, I see huge breakthroughs coming right. through in the next 10 to 12 years. Right. So, I mean, from that perspective, uh, it's wonderful. Now, we've had setbacks over the last two years when, you, when, for instance, you look at the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action with right. Iran and, and our withdrawal Iran from that. Deal. And we were strong proponents of it. And my, and I've used this analogy many, many times. It's much better to have people on the ground in Iran looking at the facilities and inspecting the nuclear side of the house than not having anybody. The JCPOA did that. We had IAEA inspectors. They weren't U.S. inspectors. Right. They were IAEA inspectors. Now we don't have access to that. So, I mean, that was a setback. The, the clean power plan, mm -hmm. the, our withdrawal or renunciation of that is, I won't say it's catastrophic, but it's close. Right. And so a lot of things we had worked for for a decade plus all of a sudden got thrown up. Uh, I see those changing. And I, and I think despite what the current administration is doing, I think Congress is starting to get it. Whether the House flips or not, I don't know, in November. But, but I think you will see people understand the national security perspective on each one of these issues. Right. They'll... They'll try to pull it out of the partisan bickering that we've got, and there will be progress made. I think there'll be progress made on emissions, on mitigation of CO2. Um, I won't say a renewed clean power plan, but something similar to that right. long term is going to happen. Uh, Paris Accord, uh, I think there will be a groundswell sooner than later on that, maybe two years, maybe four, maybe six, that'll say we're going back into the, where we will sign up to the right. Paris Accord. Right. Um, so all those things kind of, we will continue to work those and it'll change. Yeah. And ASP has been going to be involved in, in all of this. I, absolutely. And, I, and, my, and, I, and I'll, I'll close on one last issue and it's trade. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you talk TPP or TTIP, which are both essentially dead as far as we're concerned. And, and this, this just kind of bothers me that we get a president that says he's pro-trade, he's a business guy, yet we we basically kill both TPP and TTIP and NAFTA yeah. when, in, in essence, having negotiated those agreements uh, were good things. Business will tell you they are. Right. And just because we can impose tariffs and because he doesn't think it's fair to us, our dealings with China in particular, he's, he's killed those deals. Well, China's stepping right into it into TPP. They're, they're becoming the cornerstone of their own yeah. Trans-Pacific Partnership yeah. here. So that's another one that you say, what's the national security perspective? The more trade you have with somebody, the better off it is. They're, you're not going to want to attack your, your greatest debtor, which is China. Right. Uh, I mean, and they're not going to want to attack us either. So, uh, and plus that, it's good for the economy. So, I mean, all those types of things and the alienation of our two nearest uh uh, partners, Canada and Mexico. Yeah, it's crazy. You, you go, jeez, oh, you know, yeah. what are we doing here? Um, Harley Davidson goes to manufacturing <laughs> in Europe. Come on. Um, I think we'll get over this. Yeah, there's, I mean, and there's all sorts of good academic studies showing that when, you know, basically when trade crosses borders, when goods and, and services and ideas crosses borders, you know, the military doesn't. You know, when, when it, right. it draws you closer to your allies, it, it, 
undermines sort of the uh, the way we we fight with with each other. And, you know, I, I I think I think that's right. That the close relationship and trade between the U.S. and China has been something that's stopped a lot of things sure. over, over time. Sure, it has. And and maybe the fact that the U.S. doesn't actually trade that much with Russia has been uh, a problem. It has. Yeah, it has been a problem. Yeah. Uh, well, the, lots of lots of issues coming up, and lots of uh, lots of problems. Uh, but you know, a, a note of optimism, I guess. Yeah, Steve? I, mean, I, 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 I said when the change of administrations occurred, we now have a target-rich environment here, <laughs> and and our work is cut out for us. It's today. I think it's more important, more relevant than it ever has been. Because yeah. as I mentioned before, we had successes. We we're headed in the right direction. We had bipartisan support. Now it's kind of drifted the other way. And we do, we are making impact, and, and I'll give you proof positive. I have sat in the offices of several Republican senators and congressmen and women, and, and they listen. Now, they're a little bit head down, given the rhetoric at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. We will get through this. Yeah. They understand the impact on their states and their districts. Uh, they understand that they want to hear the national security perspective of it. We, we are the voice of that. More so, I think, than perhaps any other non nonpartisan 501c3 within, yeah. certainly within the Beltway and maybe within the country. And we've got this breadth that we can use, this talent that we can tap to pass this message on where others can't quite do it the way we can do right. it. So, I mean, yes, I, I guarded optimism, I guess, is the way <laughs> I phrase it. I, I don't want to stand up and be a total pessimist because yeah. we've been down the road for two years now. Eh, let's see what happens in the next two. Yeah. Well, General Cheney, thank you. Uh, this was Flashpoint, and I'm, I'm your host, Andrew Holland. Join us next week.